Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to SyrupCast. My name is Daniel Bader and I am joined by three very lovely and talented individuals. Uh, as always, Douglas Soltis, how are you? Bah, 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 bah! Doug is high on DX3. Uh, we are, BetaKit is uh, one of the media sponsors there and uh, Douglas and his team have been doing a, a cracking job. Well, we're cracking. The event. Uh, Jane McIntyre, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Good. You got the Christmas theme going on. I do. And uh, Tom Emmerich, all the way from London, England. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. We can't see you because you have no your we have, you have no uh, webcam. So explain what you're wearing right now. Tell us in, in in very specific detail. Well, one thing I've learned in London is that they put everyone to shame from a fashion perspective. So I'm trying to keep up here. I have a trench coat. Um, that's not kind of a sleazy trench coat. It's actually a nice wool one. Why are you uh, wearing scarf. under the trench coat? <laughs> <laughs> that's for you to find out in the next podcast, so stay oh, tuned. Oh, okay. Once you have your webcam back. Yes. <laughs> well, speaking of fashion, uh, we wanted to get you on here. You've just been at a, uh, at a wearables conference in London, and uh, you've been covering, uh, you know, you've been talking about the Apple Watch quite a lot and we learned more than uh, we learned a lot about the device uh, this week at an event in San Francisco and wanted to get your impressions so uh, we know you have to leave and uh, your your input is invaluable so I mean what what did you take away from the big announcement you know the the vast delta between cheapest and most expensive versions the fact yeah. that it's such a fashion forward uh, wearable and it's really the first wearable that's that's fashion first and smartwatch second um and i just wanted to take you know you clearly have a have have a you know good head for you know figuring out whether these things are going to work so is it going to work uh it will work but i want to just say one thing about the apple event i I was very disappointed with the Apple event oh, from an Apple Watch too. perspective. I was very underwhelmed, and I would never have done it the way that Apple did it. And what I mean by that is that the stars of the show were Research Kit, which was just an amazing uh, crowdsourced medical solution uh, that is really going to change the world, and the new MacBook. Um, and mm -hmm. I'm not usually one to get excited about a computer, but you know that was pretty you know snazzy. So it it seemed like the Apple Watch was almost an afterthought. Um, and and the fact that Cook just recapped everything that we basically knew, except for pricing, availability, and a sneak peek at a retail experience that I think is lacking. Um, I, I kind of left really like, what? That that's that's how you're going to leave us with your Apple Watch? Now that being said, that's just the event. I have no doubt that the Apple Watch is going to be the most successful smartwatch that we've seen so far, and it will 
impact the rest of the space. Um, meaning if you don't want to move over to an iOS device, it will impact the sales of Android Wear uh, smartwatches. And it will put the pressure on Google to make Android Wear better. Um, we've seen some rumors about how that will change. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that Apple, you know, Apple has been in the accessory business for a very long time, if you think about that. Mm -hmm. um, people are used to going into the Apple store and buying more than just an iPad or an iPhone. They've had headphones and, and various accessories for, the very, for a very long time. So I think the iOS, the Apple user, is used to buying some extra stuff from Apple, and they're used to paying a lot from Apple. Like those are the two things that, you know, that, that have been the same. So now we have a, a new thing from Apple, which is a smartwatch. Is it expensive? Yes. Would I have loved to see it be a hundred dollars less for, for the sport and the watch versions for sure. Um, but I think people are going to buy it. And I really think people are going to buy it because of a couple things. Um, if not just from a vanity and status perspective. Uh, you know, that's the, the fanboy Apple cult, um, if you were. Um, and I think people are going to be looking around on the streetcar and the subway. And, you know, come April 24th, you're going to be looking at people's wrists to see who forked out the cash for it. And then it'll plant a seed and then you'll convert. And that's just how the first <laughs> Apple Watch will, <laughs> will be successful. So you think that people who weren't otherwise interested in an iPhone will buy one just because they want to wa they want to uh, buy a watch. I think I think people who so the first thing is people who are kind of interested in a smartwatch uh, will definitely pull the trigger on the Apple Watch. That's the first thing. But I think um, let's peel back the layers a little bit now and let's start looking at some of the unique features of the Apple Watch, um, including, I think, the digital touch, which is um, genius. I think they've hit it out of the ballpark with that. Um, I think some of the features slash what I mean by features more is apps will start to draw people in. So it's going to be the early adopters, of course, that are going to start to buy this, but then the early adopters will start showing their friends the one or two apps applications that really make them get excited, like an Uber or whatever it might be. We're not quite sure yet. And it's going to be the applications that do not think mobile first. And, you know, the, I'll tell you, I, I cried a, a large tear when Tim Cook showed notifications on the smartwatch. And when he started off by saying, hey, guys, you know, don't worry, all of your notifications come on this watch uh, as is. I was like, no, like, that's the worst. Instagram, no, that's the worst. Like, come on, like, you know, you're sending me mixed messages here. You're, you're reinventing communication by allowing me to send my heartbeat using touch, using um, haptic feedback in a way we've never done before. You're showing me, um, you know, the alarm.com uh, and the um, Starwood Hotel app that really shows that micro-engagement, really quick, um, actions and glances uh, make sense on this watch and then you confuse me by saying that all this other mobile stuff um, also works on it so you know well, I think that, that was confusing yeah is, is it confusing or just like the necessary bridge because they don't have as much of the futuristic stuff to demo because it's not it's yeah. not built like with the first the first iPhone demo was like hey you can make phone calls it can play music look how yeah. simply it does the things that you're expecting it to do I think it's also the, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, just the value of the device came after because it is it is, did those established things, right? Yeah, and I think people who've been like Apple users have been waiting for a smartwatch. Have been watching their Android or their their Android using friends be like, you know, oh, I I got it because it just popped up on my wrist, and and I think it would be unfair to expect that Apple wouldn't, you know, throw that in on 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 top of the pile just to to keep people happy. 
No, don't get me wrong. It's not that I don't think we should be getting notifications. I just think that sending notifications as is without any thought as to what exactly I should be seeing on my wrist, like that is not the direction that we should be moving forward. Um, But I think you are right, Doug. Like um, if you look at the original iPhone, it wasn't perfect when it came out. And it is a little bit of that bridge where we have to get used to this new form of computing while leveraging the old at the same time. Kind of like when you change cat food I don't know if you've ever done that but yeah. you have to you have to put a little bit of the old food in with the new food in order for your cat not to puke maybe that's where we're at amazing analogy yeah cat puke that's the name of the podcast <laughs> um, Apple but, cat puke. but Dan I don't think I answered your question about why people would buy the watch I think it's going to be early adopters from a status perspective then like I said it's going to be the apps that convince the other friends that hey I, I really would love to raise my hand and call uber those are the I think that's how it's going to eke in but at that price point they only need to sell a certain amount to make a real killing on on uh, on the watch especially yeah. at ten thousand you know well I mean the ten thousand dollar watch is I think people overstate how how uh, that is Apple's um, intention. The 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 ten thousand dollar watch is is a status symbol. It's a way for them to project the Apple Watch into areas where a smartwatch could never go. Yeah. So that's the the Apple Watch is not meant the Apple Edition is not meant to make a lot of money. It it may by virtue of the fact that it costs ten thousand dollars and that they need to sell one. One hundredth of them to make the same profit. Yeah, no, I think it's for with that thing they're looking to sell like a thousand total or something. Like yeah, and they said they're just, they said they're making a limited number and they're not going to be available at every Apple store. Yeah, so. But they did that on purpose. I mean, a well, yes, yeah. it's expensive to source all that gold, but they're doing it to limit the supply because yeah. it makes sense for them to create an artificial because, uh, supply and, constraint for a yeah. device like that. When the rich kids of Instagram Who see the that people Beyonce has one, they'll be like, oh, I have to get one. <laughs> Who were the first people to have smartphones? Uh, early adopters. The rich and wealthy. Well, no, I mean, that's they not... Weren't early, they weren't early, early adopters, adopters by... Then. Yeah, they were, they were either dealing in finance and therefore dealing in wealth or were specifically wealthy and powerful. The, the, and as, when you're talking about uh, a device that is a watch, which has its own kind of like built-in um, high-end marketplace it's it's just only designed to be on the wrists of people that would make you want to wear a watch right but i mean the iphone was a an interesting example of how that's not necessarily the case that you know because of the carrier subsidy model a device that was normally 900 to 1000 dollars became accessible to everybody. I mean, I'm not saying the iPhone is cheap, and a- Apple has not created a low-cost iPhone uh, on purpose, but there's no there's no real barrier to the everyday person purchasing an iPhone. Um, yeah, not anymore. Not anymore, but... Well, um, no, I mean, the, the first-generation one was, was short-lived, right? But that wasn't, that wasn't the first smartphone. I'm talking about... I'm talking about Blackberries and earlier devices. The only people that had that were the people that, you know needed it for work and, and dealt in wealth or the people who are like rich enough to be like, yeah, I'll, I'll get the smartphone thing and communicate through email because I'm a, a VIP. And as the smartphone got more commoditized, you've seen like either like Pharrell with like weird gold dipped phones or something like that, or people jewel and crust their cases. So their cases are, are worth 
X many thousands of dollars. I think it just speaks to that. Uh, this is a that emotional, persuasive, itch scratching market that they need to tap into. Yeah, but I mean, from the as Tom alluded, the the fashion aspect of the early Blackberries was was you know nominal at best, right? They weren't attractive in the same way. They were attractive because of their productivity, mm-hmm. right? The same way that the early smartwatches were attractive to early adopters because of their productivity. You know, people loved showing off the Pebble because they were programmable. It's like it's like a, a nerd gushing over an Arduino board that they that they designed, right? Because of what it can do, not because of how it looks. Whereas the Apple Watch tries to blend both worlds. They try to be as functional as possible and as fashionable as possible. And they try to appeal to both, you know, uh, to, to so many disparate demographics. Athletes can pick up a device for 500, for 450 bucks, uh, 350 in the US, all the way up to the Beyonce spending $22,000 on a rose gold version. Right, so they're they're trying to appeal to every type of, of potential buyer. Yeah, yeah and I I wouldn't focus on the the addition too much. It really was a marketing play. I like like you said, like they only need to sell so many to make money back. But it also was positioning them as a luxury brand, um, mm-hmm. and it's catering to people that ten thousand dollars is not enough is not a lot. Like in the watch world, ten thousand dollars is not a lot. In the fashion world, ten thousand dollars is not a lot. Yeah. So it, you know that it, it seems a lot for a gadget that you would buy in Best Buy, but it's not a lot if you're on you know high street or you know uh, bloor street in toronto going to holt renfrew and buying a pair of product right. boots or right. so, on twitter people saying who has ten thousand dollars lying around and like the people who have five hundred thousand dollars lying around yeah, yeah exactly like for me you know like I, I for me i would focus more on the watch the watch mid-tier i think the mid-tier is priced too high then i think the mid-tier at what is it it's like five hundred dollars or so um it's six hundred like, it's 6.99 for the for the cheapest watch. See, guys, that's too much. Like, and that's the one that I want. Like, Daniel, like you got to try them out. Like, how was the sport? Because the sport looked a little bit. I don't know. Did it look nice? And it, you saw it in person. So it's interesting how they frame it on their website. So, for example, you can buy all three of them, including the edition, with a sports strap if you want to. Right? The sports strap is a poly. Uh, polyfluorethylene or whatever it's basically a rubber strap um, but the way that they show it off on their wa- on, on the site they show the watch sport with the sport strap the watch itself with a leather or metal strap and then the addition with the modern buckle which is uh, also leather so they don't show either of the top two versions with the least expensive strap even though you can buy one with them mm-hmm. um, it speaks to the marketing around these products the the Aluminum version, the, the sport model, doesn't actually feel cheap at all. It feels actually like any other aluminum product. It feels like an iPhone. So what's so interesting? The strap that makes it look cheap. Yes, the strap makes it feel cheap, but the the actual chassis, the body itself, is made out of a beautifully um, machined aluminum. And the only difference between that and the watch itself is the fact that stainless steel is considerably heavier. Uh, do you know what though? That's the loophole. Then everyone buy a sport and then go get third-party straps when they come out. <laughs> right. But, and there you go. <laughs> but like, who cares? So we're we're talking about two things. Daniel made an interesting point about like I think we're right that the the addition is less important than all the other varieties and and sizes and um, just uh, 
in, uh, versions of of this of this smartwatch where there's like I don't know in like an infinite number which is for the longest time Apple has made like one product or two products for everybody and made that compelling whereas with these they have to make you know just for the physical restrictions of people's wrists different sizes and different approaches but when we're talking about pricing and I, I also saw some tweets online where like you know they haven't talked at all about specs of the device nobody nobody cares there's no way to say that this thing is is too expensive because it's it's like a new category if people want it and it has a compelling experience, they're gonna spend on it. There's no, there's no major competitor, and I'm apologies to Motorola or anybody else that is sitting at parity with Apple for you to say, oh, that one's too expensive and this one's the right price because they do the same things or they're equal in value in my mind, but this one costs more. This is like literally them creating a new device category because no one is. Comp- no one, except for like the people that we know, okay. care about the Pebble. It's not the, them creating in... a new device category because the Pebble, like all the Android Wear watches, like that they like they they already existed. Like the device category was there. I understand what you're saying, and, and I think you can argue that they the functionality and and the design and their attention to like the fashion as well as the technology side of it is a new take on a current device, but I don't think it's fair to say that they've established a new device category, because they haven't. Smartwatches were okay, there before. Indus- re- replace category with industry. What? Replace the word category with industry. They haven't. So they haven't done that either. Apple is the only company... He, um, I think this that Doug is saying that Apple is the only company that can make 27 varieties of, of, a, of the same device scale up the production and distribution across three different um, materials sell it in a retail store that is completely unrivaled by any other company in the world and get as much attention for those things as they have. That's really yeah, their their triumph. It's a thing now because Apple's doing it. Yeah, and I think um, the retail experience is key. The fact that Apple, compared to a Motorola, compared to an LG, compared to a Google, except for now the new Google Store, um, they have the retail experience. That's something that the other tech companies don't have. But I'll tell you that um, selling this as a tech item, it, you know, as much as it sh- it is a tech item, um, the com- the real competitor are the watch makers. I think like once uh, Android Wear or a Tizen or a WebOS or whatever starts becoming available to watchmakers and then they start selling them in their own retail stores, um, that's really when you know it's a new ball game in my opinion. Um, and I still think like although I'm really eager to see the Apple Watch in person and it does look beautiful and I think I'm more excited about how beautiful the design of the operating system and the apps look than the watch itself, um, I'm still eager to see some of the fashion brands step up to the plate and give us what they do best which is fashion and let the tech providers do what they do best which is the tech and then we have this new hybrid world you know and like I, I, I we are not seeing that quite yet yeah like Tom's totally right like so the plat like the luxury watch manufacturers are gonna win when they partner with whatever smart OS platform wins out whether that's Android or Tizen um, so that means Google probably wins, and then all of the traditional consumer electronic manufacturers are going to not win in the way that they don't win in selling Android smartphones. And even if that ends up being 80% of the market, quote unquote, Apple's not going to care because they're going to 
own 20% of the market and make a junk ton of money off of of that margin and it'll be it'll be the smartphone market again but does anyone actually want one of these well, according to the poll on Mobile Syrup, it didn't look like it. I was actually quite shocked with that one. Uh, guys, I hate to say this, but I have to leave in like a minute. Um, okay. But I, I, I will say that even though that poll didn't look too promising, and I'm not quite sure if it changed, is um, I, I'm, I'm optimistic that we'll see a, a lot of smartwatches on people's uh, wrists, uh, both Android Wear and Apple Watch, um, at least comparatively to what we saw before. Is it going to be 15 million for Apple? Is it going to be 26 million for Apple? I'm not quite sure. I think if you just look at the fact that they sold 74 million iOS devices in last quarter alone, even if they grabbed one or two percent of that, you know, for smartwatches, just because people want to see what it's all about, that's they have the they have. They, out of all the others, have the opportunity to really get a lot of market share here and really take this category to the next level. And just the fact that they're in it is really the big thing. Just the fact that they put a stamp of approval and the fact that they said, yes, wearable technology is, is something that we have on our radar, that in itself is what was really important as well. I completely agree, and we'll, uh, we'll leverage the, the insights that you've given us uh, to continue this conversation. Tom, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, when you're back in Toronto, we'll, uh, we'll have you on another podcast for more than 15 minutes. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. I'll see you soon. Miss All you. Right. Good job on you, Tom. Bye. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Travel Bye. safe. That's interesting. Um, what, what Tom is saying about, you know, the fact that they've put their stamp on it. It was something that, that I had actually thought about when you guys were talking earlier on about early adopters and stuff. I feel like at this point... When Apple is doing something, it's no longer like the people buying it are not early adopters anymore. Like I don't mm -hmm. think anybody buying the Apple Watch is an early adopter. They're like, oh, Apple made it; it must be perfect already, and then they're gonna go buy it, even if there are, even if it doesn't have the functionality, you know, even if the first gen is gonna be totally different from the second generation. I feel like, and you can say that even with the smartphone, is that the iPhone came so long after like PDAs and Blackberries and stuff, and it was when Apple thought that a smartphone could have a meaningful impact on the general consumer as opposed to someone who had a black brain. It's like, I have it because I'm so busy. Yeah. Right, so one one minor adjustment to that, because I think you're, you're pretty much spot on, is that you're you're totally right. Uh, the, the, I would say that there are, the people that bought the, that buy the first version are still considered early adopters, but then the mass awareness around that device is created because Apple's doing it. So yeah. even if, if the broad populace doesn't buy the first version, they're aware of the product category or the there's an industry around it because of that that version. So maybe they'll buy the next one, they'll buy the Apple Watch Mini or they'll get it at Christmas. But I'm they're now the they're now thinking about that as a thing that they might want, need, love, because the biggest consumer electronics company in the world decided that not only like did they put their stamp on it, like Tim and Johnny seem really hyped about making this thing and more so than they seem hyped about making iPhones. Well, I, I also think that it's uh, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So uh, what comes first, the excitement about a new category or the new category itself? Um, Apple has been... Jesus phone? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, you know, look, look at, look at the way that, um, our, look at, look at the way that Xiaomi has benefited from the app, from the iPhone, both directly and indirectly. A company that basically built at the beginning clones of the world's most popular phone is now the second most successful phone manufacturer or third in the world. 
and they and their products no longer look like iPhones, and their products no longer owe as much of a of a debt to the iPhone. But everybody in the smartphone industry owes a debt to Apple and the iPhone as um, as it relates to its uh, you know its sort of virtuous cycle of carrier relationships of um, of, of component commoditization. You know, Qualcomm wouldn't have the same influence on on the industry if Apple hadn't chosen them as its baseband provider back in you know the early, like the late you know two thousands. All of these things have a direct impact on the way that Android has has found success, both in the high and low low end. I think what's happening here, though, is that with with the high end Apple Watch, nobody really knows whether it's going to impact these analog markets. The analog markets being the high-end um, watch manufacturers from, you know, Tissot, Rolex, Omega, you know, sw- the Swatch group of, of companies, right? Um, Swatch has has a lot to lose. Uh, a lot of, you know, it, it's, it's, it's going to have to diversify or figure out whether um, will, will somebody spend $400 on, a, on an Apple Watch or spend $100 on a, on a fashion Swatch? I know that's four yeah. times the cost, but there's far more than four times the uh, the value there and Apple did the same thing by convincing people to spend you know 199 on an iPhone rather than 199 on a contract rather than you know zero dollars for another piece of crap smartphone back in in the late 2000s as well so telling people that they're not people saying that people people saying that others are not going to spend money on the Apple watch is very short-sighted. Yeah, because Apple's proven that time and time again that people are willing to spend money on products that they derive higher value from. No, I totally agree. I do. Sorry, go ahead. No, I just, I just agree. Yeah, I did. I did find. Um, I was, th- I was thinking it over in my head because I was wondering about those sport bands, and Tom was saying, well, then everybody should just buy the sport edition and then change the band on it. But they've actually, I just figured out, been really clever with the pricing of those bands, and they've made it so that that's not worth it. Because a band, the leather band, which is I guess like the next cheapest option, if you don't want to get the, the the rubberized one that comes with a sport, is if you buy a sport, then you you have to spend two hundred dollars on the leather band. So automatically that takes the price beyond or very close to the yeah. well, I mean, just getting the Apple Watch, like the middle tier. Yeah. So I mean, let's let's look at the the pricing. The the cheapest sport uh, watch sport in Canada. And we're going by Canadian pricing because that's who listens to our podcast. Is four hundred and forty nine dollars. That's for the thirty eight mil uh, aluminum case with a with a sport band. Then you're increasing the price by sixty dollars to the where's that seventy seventy dollars to the to the forty two mil uh, with the same band. So it's five hundred nineteen four hundred and forty nine. Does Apple offer an option of the sport with a leather band like as no, standard? No. Okay. Yeah. No. That's it. And then okay. the the cheapest uh, stainless steel version with the same size casing and same sport band is six hundred and sixty nine. So it's two hundred and fifty dollars difference. So as you said, um, that difference you're you're either going to have to buy a, a band that's less than two hundred and fifty, and the only one that I can see here is the Milanese Loop, which mm. is um, one hundred ninety nine. Oh, sorry. There's also the the, the the leather loop, so yeah. you will be able to augment well, you're your still sport. Then be in, in, 
Yeah, and I think that that's what I would do if I if someone told me here is six hundred fifty dollars, I would still go for the sport with the leather band because at least that way I have two bands. Right, and you'd be and, able to swap them out when you're yeah. running. Okay. But then a lot of people guys, would say, well, guys, I want a fancier one." We're we're talking about like bands here. Talking and I know bands. I'm talking about bands. bands. Not the game. Bands. bands. Not the watch. <laughs> <laughs> no. Like and I get I get this because this is what we do. We talk about the detailed stuff. And obviously when people are are buying these things, they're gonna want to make that personalized choice about which one what color, what thing works for them, price point, all that. And that's where Tom's point about the retail experience really matters a lot. And it's it's a strength that Apple has because they own that, but then also it's a little underwhelming from what it seems like their display is going to be. But can we just talk about like the actual watch itself as a thing? Because like I want to try one because that's how we do. I don't want one. I don't want Instagram on my wrist. Being able to check to see if my Uber's coming is is cool. But I I have a I have a phone. Like I don't have any reason to have this on my wrist. Like I I really don't. And I I like cool stuff. I think it goes back to what Tom was saying. Seems like the most interesting thing. Because Tom was saying, you know, with the notifications, he was saying that there are so many. There was there was demonstrations during that event of you being able to use the watch to do things that you can't do with your phone, um, and and in a new way. And I think that goes back to I think it was during the when I was talking to Neptune, and he was saying that, I mean, their products are crazy, but (laughs) he was saying that. You your smartwatch doesn't offer you anything beyond what your phone can do already. It just does the same thing, but on your wrist, and saves you those couple seconds taking your phone out. And I think that's the most interesting part about the Apple Watch is that it is giving a glimmer of hope that there may be well that there is an entire world beyond your phone and beyond what your phone offers you. Um, but I don't know if it has that yet. I think a couple years maybe. So what's interesting about the the watch is if you're framing it as an iPhone accessory, then I don't think a lot of people are going to be interested in it. But if you're taking what you can currently do on your iPhone and differentiating between the limitations of what's in your pocket and what you can currently do with an Apple Watch, just for, you know, the first-gen Apple Watch, then there's, there begins to, you, you begin to see value, but only with, um, only when it applies to sort of other Apple Watch users. So, for example, my biggest takeaway was the digital touch feature. The fact that, you know, I don't, I'm not going to, you know, be sending dick pics or hearts to, like, random people. Maybe oh. I will. Who knows? Only your coworkers. Only you guys. Yay! But, but what I what I see is that this opens up a new world of of communication that the iPhone currently can't offer you. Yeah. Maybe next generation. We 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 reported on a uh, Wall Street Journal article yesterday that said the next iPhone will have the Force Touch display that's currently in the the Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. You know, awesome. Who knows? But right now, the value proposition of buying an Apple Watch is that it gives you time back from your phone. I don't think a lot of people really want time back from their phone, right? Okay. Apple... Sorry. Before we even get into whether we want people to – like the concept of whether or not getting time back is compelling enough for people to spend money on the electronics is really interesting. Um, and I, it's kind of a wait and see. But the question of whether or not it actually gives time back I think is something we can discuss now because if, if uh, the Apple Watch is really 
be an accessory for your iPhone that how to together is so if you are seeing and receiving notifications on your wrist and I think you only get notifications when it's connected to your skin. So it's not just going off with notifications at all time. It's 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 only when you're wearing it. Um, and then you're you're doing things on your wrist and it's saving you time, but then you when you actually do go back to your iPhone, you have a bunch of other notifications or clutter or things that the watch was showing you that the iPhone wasn't smart enough to realize you already taken care of still there. You're just having to go back and do the same thing. And we we have this conversation a lot about the integration of iOS 8 and uh, the Mac OS X and how they're starting to share responsibilities between each other, but it's not there yet in terms of really having this connectivity identity of like, this is my laptop, this is my phone, they're working together for me in the right context. So if I'm just buying another like digital wrist that isn't smartly working so that I only have to be using one or the other, like it's not saving me time. It's creating additional redundancy. It's creating a little stress. It's 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 the annoyance that I had with Pebble, where I really felt like I was trying to force this thing to be something I wanted to be that it couldn't. So I was now making a lot of snap decisions about whether it was easier to pull up my phone or do something on my wrist. And I don't want I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about any of this. Yeah, but I, I think that's something Apple thought of back when they first started developing the software on the on the Apple Watch. For example, if I receive a Pebble notification, if I dismiss it on my on my wrist, it actually dismisses it on my phone as well. I mean, there is synchronization between the two, and I can only imagine that Apple will address issues that other smartwatches connected to its own operating system had far before the Apple Watch, you know, was clo- was was ready to come to market. Yeah, they got on that copy paste thing so fast too, so Yeah, and <laughs> but I also think that <laughs> That's funny. Uh, you're 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 being sarcastic. Um, yep. But I, I also think that Apple has has sort of they're giving people a little bit too much uh, freedom with the watch right now. It can do notifications. It can do apps. It can do glances. It can do communication. It can do phone calls. It can do Siri-based text replies. It can do voice replies. It can do so much. But like many other products that purport to do too much it may not do everything well. And mm. I think that's where a lot of people who were bullish on the iPhone and even on the iPad have become a little bit more skeptical, including myself, on smartwatches. Because every time I put on an Android Wear watch and I try to figure out how it's going to improve my life, I ended up taking it off after a couple of days because yeah. the Android phone is far more valuable to me in my hand than an Android Wear watch on my wrist. Yeah. So what do we want to hand off to our wrist? Yeah, and that's really the big question. Is it really bad that I'm like kind of telling the time? I just hate that I take my phone out so often to look at the time. That's <laughs> true, though. I mean, really, they have to yeah. do a better job. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, the, the smartwatch can tell me the time. That's what I'd like. Okay. Well, that's and good. We, and, I mean, so... and honestly, like, you're totally right. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Telling the time and seeing notifications is, is like that actually, if it's just like a really simple way to just like stay connected in the moment and not have to think about it, that's great. But I get so many different types of notifications that my eye prioritizes as equal. Or prioritize. It's not smart. Doesn't handle them in any. No, you're or cutting out there, Doug. Committed to nations. Uh, oh. No, I think you're cutting out because I can. I can't hear you either. Yeah, this is real life, David. Okay. Um, I, I'm. I guess I'm just trying to say, like, if it's the if it's the phone experience on the wrist, even the simple telling time and notifications will be more stressful than just pulling out my phone. Right. So I think they have to figure out, um, like Google now does with Android Wear, is there passive information that you can glean that doesn't rely on notifications, and then you can turn off notifications or at least turn off the the apps, uh, turn them off for most apps except for the the most uh, important ones. Yeah. But it's weird because you said, like, for me, you really struck a chord when you said stressful. Because I do, when I look at my watch, and I've say, posted a, yet another picture of my cat on Instagram, and I see, like, an Instagram notification, like, like it's not just that, I, it's not enough to tell me that I have an Instagram notification, because seeing it on my watch makes me want to take out my phone, because it's, I'm like, oh, what is it? Like, and when I see all these notifications on my watch, it just makes me want to take out my phone more. So it's not like, even when it's giving me that positive information, and this, these unimportant things, that I don't, like, I don't need to look at my phone to know that I like my like my cat photo, like my watch can tell me that I shouldn't need to take my phone, but I still do it. Yeah, so it's it's the tease effect. Um, you know, the most apps are not set up to give you enough information. They're just set up enough to tease you about the information that's inside the app. It's not even information, it's context. Like, why would we ever want, like, especially, like, you know, the diff- you're totally right about Instagram notifications and checking your phone versus my work email account versus my personal email account, my personal email account where I get an email from my mother versus, like, Club Monaco being like, hey, sweaters are here. Like, the, yeah. if, it's, if it's on your wrist, and even even on your phone, like, to be honest, like, this, this should be figured out, but it's really hard. If, if all of those notifications are created equal, you're just, you're actually, like, shackling your wrist. Right. Like, you know, XKCD was totally right. There was a few years in which our wrists were gloriously free. And now they're being shackled by this digital identity. And right. when it comes to managing that stuff, if I have to go in app by app and like tell like, okay, I don't want this, I don't want that, like the management of the management is stressful enough. It's yeah. like it's why no one solved calendar and contacts because it's like it just takes work. So mm. then maybe you turn off notifications and just let the watch to whatever else it's good at. And the thing is, with existing um, smartwatches you can't really do a whole lot more. But with Apple Watch, yeah. you can because there are apps that allow you to open things, perform functions, send messages, check information without there being a reciprocal uh, message from your phone. Yeah. I think it's just, a, uh, for I don't know, for me it's like an interesting conundrum of 
what do I consider priority notifications and what do I consider notifications that while I may enjoy saying, ooh, flag, Facebook, um, I shouldn't be looking at that all day every day and I shouldn't be allowing that to dictate when I take out my phone because it's not important. <laughs> like, I don't need to, like, check Instagram or check Facebook nine times a day. I need to check it once. <laughs> and I feel like if my, my watch can tell me just phone calls, maybe text messages and email, and then everything else social should be relegated to these don't show up on your watch, they only show up on your phone. Hmm. I don't know. I don't think Apple wants their product to make your life more annoying. I don't think anybody wants their product to make your <laughs> life more annoying. Totally but, not. I mean, especially Apple, who's all about customer delight and experience. Yeah. And I think that if there are features um, that customers dislike about the first-gen software, we'll see them ramped, we'll see them sort of scale back in the second version. Uh, I, I also think that this is not really indicative of what the Apple Watch is going to be four years from now. Just like the original iPhone looks and feels nothing like today's iPhone, this is A, going to not, no longer going to be a standard, a standalone, sorry, it's not going to be a tethered device for much longer. I would give it two generations before it's a standalone product with its own LTE chip. Um, I think that it was important for Apple to get the product into the market, to seed it, to make sure that people knew about it. But this is not the final version of the Apple Watch. You can rest assured that anything Apple can do to make this an independent product, the way that they that the iPod and, iP and iPhone were originally tethered to a Mac to set up and to download apps and music, and that was no longer the case after iOS 5, I think this is going to take on a very similar trajectory. Yeah, and so. I think they can, that that will also, the sooner they can do that, the sooner they can just, like, justify, the sooner then that people will become, I think, more accepting of the price and find the price easier to swallow. Because that's, I think, one of the, the issues that some people have right now is it's a companion device, so, you know, I have to pay $500 for it. That's kind of that's kind of crazy. Well, the other thing that's interesting and, and something that a lot of um, analysts that I've read have been going back and forth on is what is the replacement cycle for an Apple Watch? Is it a one-year replacement cycle or a two-year like an like a phone? Or is it more of a four, three to four to maybe even five-year replacement cycle for like an iPad or a computer? Yeah. I think they've already learned with the iPad like a very important lesson in the fact that uh, the, unless it's your phone, which is like has this kind of like Moore's law of like power and new things. Mm. There's there's not that much need to at a 18 month cadence uh, completely replace the device, which is why I think, I think like that... oh go ahead. Sorry, no, I'm just saying I think that that's the, that's probably one of the reasons we haven't heard about hardware yet is because they're probably banking on this hardware to last quite a while. But those iterative changes that you're talking about, Daniel, where you're saying like one generation is going to be different, like like the second generation is going to be you know. You know, the third generation is going to be drastically different from the first generation. I think a lot of those changes will come with software updates. Yeah, and I mean, look at something like the Pebble. The original Pebble was introduced in April 2012. It came to market uh, January 2013. It's still being updated with yeah. new software experiences. Like its biggest, its biggest beef is that it looks like garbage, but it's right. still the same great product. <laughs> so, Apple's pretty much. I mean, you could argue that the Apple Watch is ugly. Some people yeah. have. I don't think you're. I don't think they're right. I think it's a relatively good-looking timepiece. Um, I think you can 
make it personal enough that you can overcome any of those inherent aesthetic issues. But I don't think anybody would say that, like the Pebble, the Apple Watch is ugly. So if that is the case, if you can buy a decent-looking watch that is timeless and it's, or at least, you know, is not going to be outdated in a few years in terms of looks, and you can continue updating the software, the screen isn't going to die. I mean, the, the OLED screen is probably going to last 10 years. The battery is replaceable. We we figured that out. You can take it yep. in and get it replaced. So what else do you really need? As yeah. long as the uh, the the chip inside of it doesn't become obsolete in a couple of years then it should last you 10 years easily. I think that I think you're right in the sense that maybe third generation, it will probably be a standalone device. I think that this might be the only Apple Watch we see before the standalone Apple Watch. I think that the, the hardware inside is enough to carry it through several updates that will enhance the functionality and change how the watch works. And I think that the next new Apple Watch will be the standalone one. I don't think that... I think that that's when they'll probably have no choice but to change the hardware. So you think that they're going to wait well, more than a year to whether... update this? No. No, I no. don't think... I think Because they like money, and whether or not people are <laughs> going to upgrade... Device, like, no, like, whether or not uh, people will upgrade uh, their smartwatches at the, at the cadence of a smartphone or a tablet, Apple still releases yearly products because there's always net new optimizations and like they have they have a brand built upon making like I have a 2014 uh, MacBook Air that I love that made my 2013 MacBook Air look like a piece of garbage <laughs> and now the new MacBook makes this in certain ways just look stodgy and fat like they they part of their business practice is on continuous iteration um, but in terms of the specs and stuff, what, what are like Apple's never really been a spec company uh, at the at the best points in time. Yeah. What What are the points of specs when the experience hasn't even been defined? Because specs are a measuring measuring stick of iterative improvements, and no one needs to know. Like it's a it's a thing. It, here's the stuff that it does. Here here's what you know. Here's how you're going to feel But I think it. now that they've told us the stuff that it does, if they told us the specs, we'd be like, wow, it seems like that stuff is capable of allowing you to do so much more. That Probably would help Maybe it is. Like, yeah. That's Just what I mean. Like, like, a ton of, like we wrote this week that Android Wear may be updated yeah. to take advantage of Wi-Fi. Most of the chips, that most of the products that have been released to date probably have Wi-Fi chips in them. We just don't know about them because Google hasn't turned them on yet. Mm -hmm. So... Let's assume that Apple has a bunch of you know tricks up its sleeve when it comes to uh, hardware experiences that are yeah. already in the Apple Watch. I mean, we saw what everybody was amazed at the A7, right? The A7, a 64-bit chip, um, completely new architecture, designed in-house, came out of nowhere essentially. Nobody expected the A7. They could have done the same thing with the S1. This could be a five. This could have a five-year head start on any similar designed. Uh, you know, watch equivalent system on a chip. I mean, it, there's no, it's no mistake that every chip inside an Apple Watch or a, a, inside an Android Wear watch right now is just an off-the-shelf quad-core Snapdragon 400 mm -hmm. with a couple of the cores disabled because they wanted to bring these out soon. Apple took their time, and we don't know. Maybe once um, iFixit or uh, what's that other company that does those deep dives? Yeah. yeah. They're going to look into to the to the chip itself and figure out that this is a super advanced 
14 nanometer blah 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 and could be awesome. I know that Doug you have to run um, so I appreciate you uh, you're spending some time with us today. I'm out of time. You are out of time. Uh, but alternative suggestion for uh, podcast title, Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger. PlayStation. What? For, for the nerds out there. All right. I'm gone. See you right, in man. the future. <laughs> I love that his, his face just like stalled for a second before he yeah. said that. See you in the future. In there with two. Sure. Um, so now. So hit, uh, me, hit me with that C or TC. Yeah, so the second part of this, I mean, just to sort of round down the Apple Watch thing. So uh, I'm just like, I, we're done with that now. Because <laughs> I was really impressed by the size of it. You know, what, what's interesting is that you often say that most Android Wear watches are too big for most women's wrists. And the one thing that I took away from the Apple Watch event was that they were very cognizant of the consumer that they were marketing this to. So while some Android Wear companies, like Motorola has, is keenly aware of how much bigger the Moto 360 is than it needs to be to be comfortable on most women's wrists. And they've come out with some slimmer bands to try to make up for it. But Apple, and there you go, you have the gold band. And it's beautiful. I mean, don't get me wrong. It is. It's gorgeous. But the, the watch face itself is, too, is still too big for most people. Um, yeah, but I think, it's, I think and this goes to show that I mean, when you go back and you look at those Michael Kors watches and, like, all those ones that, that are selling, like, a kind of a chunkier women's watch, I think um, there's a lot to be said for those types of watches and how much they demonstrate that chunky is okay as long as it's still a well-designed and, and, and pretty mm. device. And I think that... And that's why, that's why I like this watch. You know, I don't mind that it's chunky because I think that it draws attention in a good way. But when it's chunky and ugly, it's like, oh, and it's too big. Okay, interesting. So, do you think that uh, some? So, I, I know that uh, you know it's it's sort of one of those things where Apple's only designing some straps for the smaller size because they don't think that you know they think that women will buy that size and and men will buy the bigger size. But I also know a lot of men who want to buy the thirty eight. I have pretty slim wrists. I think the thirty eight actually looks better on me, and some women are going to want to buy the forty two. So they're aware that it's not about sex or gender, it's about um, it's about preference and about positioning that they yeah. can that they have the capability of offering two sizes. Yeah, and that's one thing that's important to note. I think too is that so far we've seen like several several kind of like oh, and then we sell a slimmer band for you know people who want a slimmer band, and, and it's never they never explicitly say we sell a women's band, and Motorola doesn't either. But it's kind of it seems a lot more clear and apparent that's what it is is that there and we've got this for you know women's wrists or whatever but i feel like apple based on the the configurations that they offer of because you can buy any band as an accessory but they have 30 what is it 34 different options for you know this space with that band and there yeah. is no discernible gender divide between which ones they offer no and, is, and I, I think that's the right way to go yeah. especially with the addition they're offering 18 karat yellow gold and 18 karat rose gold, and they're offering certain combinations of of colors, not because they're gendered, but just because the two the band colors go better with the casing colors. Mm. And like you know, black and yellow, and and then the rose gold and whatever. Yeah, that is. I mean, you know, the if I could afford a nineteen thousand dollar forty two millimeter 18 karat yellow gold case with a black classic buckle, 
I would wear it, and I don't really like yellow gold. Um, so, you know, I find that to be interesting. And I, I think some people don't realize that stainless steel watches, like the, the smartphone industry is awash with aluminum because aluminum is cheap and it's also very pliable. It's light. It's the best material for smartphones to be created in bulk. Stainless steel is heavy. There are only a few stainless steel smartwatches and uh, smartphones rather. And I think Blackberry's uh, classic and uh, the Q10, they have stainless steel frames, but they're not made entirely of stainless steel. And they're still so, heavy. And they're very heavy. I mean, they're beautifully created and they're hefty. And, and like that's, there's a reason that stainless steel is uh, associated with, with quality, right? Yeah. But I don't think people realize just how much stainless steel products cost. Because when you say something is stainless steel, it may not be entirely stainless steel. It's going to be an alloy where they have a combination of stainless steel, which is already an alloy, but they have a combination of stainless steel and something else like magnesium or, uh, I don't know, copper maybe. But this is, um, it's, it's made from refined 316L stainless steel that's been cold forged, making it up to 80% harder than regular stainless steel. So, I mean... Again, they've, they've patented a ton of different manufacturing processes, but when somebody says, oh, I would never pay $800 for an Apple Watch, you're not really buying it for the watch itself. You know that you can get the watch for $450. You're buying it for the materials inside the casing. And people who don't want to spend that much or wouldn't spend that much on a watch anyway need not apply. I think that's just the reality. Yeah, I'm also wondering that because there are going to be so many people who are like, I know that we've talked about it multiple times over the last couple of weeks where we say it is going to be like a status symbol and I don't know, I don't know was it you who said it, but it's something that I think about and it's weird. I've been thinking about this, like I think about this regularly over, and I have for probably the last 10 years I guess, is that the white earbuds and how they used to mean so much. Like the white earbuds used to mean that person has an iPod, that person spent hundreds of dollars on an MP3 player as opposed to spending significantly less on an MP3 player. And I feel like the Apple, and I remember there was like, I don't know if it was the same here, but in, in Europe, there was definitely like an increase in the, like if, if you had the white earbuds, you were kind of making yourself a target. If you were like walking down a sketchy street and you had the white earbuds, like, and you got mugged, people were like, well, you know, you were wearing those Apple earbuds. Like, what did you expect? And oh I feel like God. more people would be, well, I don't know. You went to Mobile World Congress where everyone told you you're going to get mugged or pickpocketed. Yeah, but I mean, that's, like, one of, that's one of those things where it's like, oh, you're setting yourself up to be attacked because... Not setting yourself up, but people were saying, like, you know, well, you advertise the fact that you had it. One of these know, expensive devices. I know people who would go and buy iPod headphones to wear with a creative MP3 player because they wanted to be known as somebody yeah. who was who And similarly, was using an iPod. I people in school who, whose parents would go out and buy them regular earbuds to use with their iPod so that they wouldn't be... So that they would feel better about knowing their child was walking home from school, not wearing, you know, not advertising the fact that they had this expensive piece of technology with them. But yeah. I wonder if this is going to be an issue with the Apple Watch. People are going to say, not necessarily, oh, look, Beyonce has a $20,000 Apple Watch, but hey, that random kid over there has an $800 watch. I wonder what else he has. But the thing is, when you look at an Apple Watch from far away, especially the stainless steel versus the aluminum, you can't tell which is which. No, I know, but I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm saying that even if someone had the regular version with a leather band, or even just the sport version, 
it would still be, I feel like, enough to attract attention. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Uh, you know, a 15-year-old kid who begged his parents for a $350 Apple Watch for Christmas is going to be just as much of a target as, you know, a rich yeah. you know, Wall Street banker who's buying a, a $22,000 Apple Watch. And, I mean, that's really just the Apple brand, right? It's mm -hmm. your target is if you're wearing an Apple product because Apple just has higher resale value and higher um, and lower um, depreciation values than any other consumer brand. So, yes, obviously. And, and I think what's interesting is that um, with the Apple Watch, you should be able to disable it from, from working the same way as you would with uh, an iPhone using the activation right. lock. So you can ban like, the Apple Watch has the ability to stop working if it's not touching your skin. Yes. And if you have an iPhone that's uh, paired with it, theoretically, and I, I, I should probably check on this, but theoretically you should be able to, to uh, shut down the use of the Apple Watch if it's not paired with your phone anymore. Right, and that's something they were seeing even with, with newer devices too, like Android 5.1 has the device protection, which allows if your phone is stolen and someone turns it on, that you can factory you can you can prevent them from doing a factory reset unless they enter in your you know your Google account information, yeah. which is cool. So I think that's something that even just consumer electronics as a whole are moving towards is better protection for the the, the owner of the product. But it is interesting. Yeah, but it, I mean, it is interesting that it's also like like all other jewelry, it's meant to be worn and seen. Yeah. And it's 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 Apple's first product that is meant to be seen all the time, and yet it's their first product that doesn't have an Apple logo anywhere on it. That it alone, it by itself it, as a cohesive whole, is an Apple logo. It's a status symbol for yeah, Apple. Yeah, but it, it does look distinctly like it reminds me a lot of like the iPhone and also that that um was it called the iPod Nano and and those right. kinds of devices, like it's it's got that kind of like look and feel about it. So I think it's it's just that Apple has reached the point where it's it's recognizably Apple as opposed to it needs a logo on it. And I wonder is that did that influence the design of it in some way? Is that why it wasn't round or whatever? But you can be very sure that within six months there are going to be tons of Apple Watch smart smartwatch knockoffs. Oh yeah, there was that... one at CES. It looked exactly the same, like exactly the same, except it ran Android. Well, no. The difference is that, and like Google doesn't allow uh, random. Like, there's no open source Android Wear. I was gonna uh, say, I think it was, I don't know if it won't run Android Wear, if it was in like or a real-time OS. It, it, or it just may run Android, like the Neptune Pine. Yeah. It'd just be a really shrunk-down version of Android, which yeah. is not. I don't know. Nobody wants that. So. The Neptune Pine, yeah, it looks like a GoPro. <laughs> <clears throat> oh man. So anyway, I I think um, once Apple Watch. So what's another thing that's really interesting, and the final thing I'll say about it is that they're coming out with uh, preview stations inside Apple stores two weeks before the product actually goes on on sale on April 24th. Yeah. So on April 10th, you can go to the Apple store and try on a watch without being able to buy it. And I wonder if you pre-order in store. You can. You can pre-order yeah. it on April 10th, and it'll ship to you on the 24th. But you can also go in and try them. No, but can you pre-order it from the store? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. Because that, that could be why. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I think right. they just want to attract the curious. And then say, yeah, it's available for pre-order right now. Yeah. So. Um, and everybody will be curious. Even the people who aren't going to buy it, like all the people in the mobile surf poll who said they're not going to buy it, 
Oh, I would love to see how many of them go to the Apple Store to see it once it's there. Oh, look, I mean, our our audience is by no way indicative of the mainstream. No, I know, Apple. but that's what I mean. Even the people who don't want it will be curious. Oh yeah, I know, and, and it's, I think and, a lot of people who claim that they don't want to buy it will buy it. Yeah, and that's what I mean. Sometimes being curious is enough because that can translate to that can change your mind. Mm-hmm. But so don't say we didn't warn you. Yeah. Like Tom said, you'll see it and it will plant the seed and then you will buy one too. <laughs> yeah. Or you'll buy one for your kid because she or he wants one and that's the beginning of the end for you. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people who have bought Apple products for their kids and they went, oh, I, I want that. Yeah. So moving on, CRTC. The CRTC decision to force um, content owners like Roger Shaw and Bell to uh, offer programming to all Canadians is a big, big step. So basically there was a decision today based on a hearing last year. Was it last year or was it earlier this year? I can't remember. Not about sure. Let's Talk TV. Okay, yeah. So it was based on the television framework uh, throughout Canada. And what that what the decision means is that uh, there are going to be different quotas for Canadian content when uh, shown on, on regular uh, television stations. And there's also going to be different definitions of what it means to be Canadian. So there are now, I think you have to have at least one producer, one writer, or one director who's Canadian for it to apply. Hmm. Um, but perhaps the most important decision for our readers is that the CRTC is not going to allow owners of services like Show Me or Crave TV to keep them exclusive to um, cable subscribers if they're offering exclusive content. So, for example, Crave TV offers the back catalog of HBO. They won't be allowed to do that uh, to be they won't be they won't be allowed to offer that to just their own cable or partner cable uh, providers as long as they offer exclusive content without offering it to uh, other internet service providers. So you, you know, Rogers... Give me, give me a scenario. I'm I'm Debbie and I'm a, I do Rogers TV and internet and I want to look at that HBO back catalog. What does this decision mean for me? What, so, what did it mean yesterday versus today? Okay, so yesterday, if uh, you were not a Bell or TELUS or Eastlink television subscriber... You could yeah. not, you could not buy Crave TV. You couldn't subscribe. You couldn't spend four dollars a month on the ability to to uh, subscribe to Crave TV. Okay. Okay. This decision says that if Bell wants to continue offering HBO and other exclusive content to its cable subscribers, it has to offer that same service. So Crave TV's mobile apps and its website. Yeah. To anybody with an internet connection. So, so it has to offer it to me now. Correct. Debbie, okay. as a Rogers internet subscriber, you can't get it on your television because okay. Bell doesn't have to offer Rogers that package to uh, for their cable subscribers. But if you're a Rogers internet subscriber, you will be allowed to watch Crave TV. Does uh, Does Debbie have a Chromecast? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Debbie should, you know, Bell... Debbie should get one. <laughs> They may not be, you know, forced to provide that kind of service. Right yeah. now, ShowMe doesn't offer AirPlay or Chromecast support. Mm. But what's interesting here is that ShowMe, which is a co, um, 
co-owned product by Rogers and Shaw already offer Rogers and Shaw internet customers uh, the ability to to uh, to subscribe to Show Me for eight dollars a month. The difference here is that Debbie, you're a Bell cable subscriber. Or I say cable, but Bell doesn't offer cable. They offer IPTV, but I'll use cable because it's a broad. Oh, that's right. Yeah. If uh, Rogers wants to continue offering exclusive Amazon content, they they you know they bought Transparent. They have a ton of other exclusives. They will then have to offer it to Bell Internet subscribers as well. Right. Okay. So anybody who has an internet connection who buys uh, from you know, from uh, buys internet service from an ISP, regardless of where in the country, they will be able to subscribe to these services. Cool. And that doesn't mean that you'll be able to get the same service as Tom, the 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 Rogers, or the I don't know. Say that doesn't mean that you're going to be able to get the same service they're going to offer to their own customers. They can still offer perks to their own customers. It's just Correct. that you will have the option of buying it full stop. They can still so charge you more. They can still say that they're well. We offer our own subscribers for internet um, a discount, but you can't. You, so you'll, you'll be allowed to, as long as you're willing to show them the money, you'll be willing to. Yeah, I, I think what it means, it's unclear whether there are loopholes here, but it's unclear whether um, Rogers will be able to say, okay, well, if you want to subscribe to Show Me from any ISP, you could do so, but uh, we'll give you, um, if you're also, if you're a Rogers subscriber, we'll give you um, extra content or we'll give yeah, you Yeah, we'll give you transparent content. for free or something. Right, or or will I mean I think what they'll do is they'll end up knocking off some money for existing Rogers subscribers. Yeah. So they'll offer show me to Rogers and Shaw subscribers for eight bucks a month, but if you are a Bell subscriber, you may be charged twenty dollars a month. Oof. Yeah. Right. So it may just make they may just make it really prohibitively expensive. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I saw was that Bell will say, okay, well, you know, we're gonna make it, we're gonna make Crave exclusive to uh, Bell subscribers, to Bell TV subscribers, and um, that way we can offer it over the internet to anybody, but we may limit it to Bell TV. They wouldn't actually do that because that's that's bad business. Mm. But they could also say, okay, well then, um, we'll, we'll give it to anybody who wants to spend $30 a month, but we'll give it to Bell, we'll, we'll rack up the price of Bell internet by four or five bucks a month, and we'll offer it for free. So everybody who's not Bell can spend $30 a month on Crave, which is basically what you do on TMN through a cable subscription anyway. Yeah. And then if you're a Bell subscriber on, on Internet, you can get it for free. Yeah. They're going to find a way to mess like to mess yeah. up this decision for sure. Yeah. Um, but it is, a, it is good news for people who want, that, who want access to that content. And I right. think that's really what it comes down to, is that the CRTC saw it as being anti-consumer by not allowing content. Yeah. It's not about the services, it's about the content. Yeah, and it's not about the price either, really, at this point. Like, that's that's what we're saying, is that they'll give it to you, they'll just make you pay for it. Well, the CRTC has never regulated on price. Yeah, that's what I mean. So it's like, you know, all the CRTC wants, whoops, all the CRTC wants is for is for Debbie to be able to watch whatever she wants, provided she's willing to pay whatever the people are asking. Yeah, and that's, and you know, that's, that's saying, sort of like... Yeah, and I think you're right. It will be. It will at a, a certain point just get to be that subscribers will get perks that the regular Joes won't. Poor Debbie. Well, it's the same thing. It's the same thing with. Um, it's it's the same thing with Rogers and and the NHL. So mm-hmm. the NHL, 
as a as a broad because it's being because it's broadcast on television. Rogers has to sh- has to provide access to uh, other networks, but because that what whatever it's called the um, extra angles for the you know yeah the extra hockey angles. Sorry, my brain's dead game, right now. Game Plus or whatever. Yeah, Game Center Plus. Being able to follow along with the referee or with specific players—that's an internet-only service, mm. and Rogers can then offer it as an exclusive to their customers yeah. because it's not offered anywhere over over yeah. broadcast. So, it's interesting. It's uh, it's going to be challenged. I know that. There's also a community um, that there. The CRTC is hosting a hearing uh, and asking people for comment which is uh, running until April 27th. So nothing is going to change until after April, early May. Mm. And until then, I think that it will be um, it will be very, very up in the air as to what Apple, or sorry, what um, Bell and Rogers and Shaw will do. Yeah. Okay, so that was a very inarticulate explanation, and I apologize to anybody who had to sit through that. Um, it's been it's been a very long week. Let let me put it like that. I've been tra- I've traveled to Barcelona. I came back, had a couple of days off. Traveled to uh, San Francisco, so I'm not at my at my sharpest. So I appreciate you bearing. But with we me. love you anyway. Oh well, thanks. Um, so I think um, I think we're gonna we're gonna leave it there for this week. Um, there's a couple other things coming down the pipe. Uh, really exciting things. We have a few big reviews coming up next week. And I think you can probably guess which ones they are. And uh, we have some really interesting features coming as well. So uh, check out the site. Stay tuned. Um, we're also... I, I'm, I'm trying to gauge the interest of a mobile gaming podcast. Uh, I, I have a, an inkling that a lot of people would be pretty excited about a Canadian-focused mobile gaming podcast. So if you're listening to this... Uh, just reply in the comments. Let me know if that would be something you'd be interested in. We'd tell stories from Canadian developers. We'd interviewed Canadian indie developers. We'd talk about Canadian success stories, Canadian gaming failures. Uh, there's a ton. And uh, <laughs> I think that a more mobile gaming focus would, uh, would would be a breath of fresh air. So that's my, that's my opinion. Uh, let us know what you think as well. As always, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Tom Emmerich, for uh, joining us. Uh, thank you, Tom Emmerich, for joining us from England. Douglas Soltis, uh, who had to run early, we appreciate it. Have a great week, everybody, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.